Chapter One of Glimpses of Italian Society in the Eighteenth Century from The Journey of Mrs. Piozzi. This is a LibriVox recording, or LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Glimpses of Italian Society in the Eighteenth Century by Hester Lynch Piozzi. Chapter One Turin and Genoa. October the 17th, 1784. We have at length passed the Alps and are safely arrived in this lovely little city, whence I look back on the majestic boundaries of Italy with amazement at his courage who first profaned them. Surely the immediate sensation conveyed to the mind by the sight of such tremendous appearances must be in every traveller the same, a sensation of fullness never experienced before, a satisfaction that there is something great to be seen on earth, some object capable of contenting even fancy. I had the satisfaction of seeing a chamois at a distance, and spoke with a fellow who had killed five hungry bears that made depredation on his pastures. We looked on him with reverence as a monster tamer of antiquities, Hercules or Cadmus. He had the skin of a beast wrapped round his middle, which confirmed the fancy. But our servants, who borrowed from no fictitious records the few ideas that adorned their talk, told us he reminded them of John the Baptist. I had scarce recovered from the shock of this too sublime comparison when we approached his cottage and found the felons nailed against the wall like foxes heads or spread kites in england there are many goats but neither white nor large like those which browse upon the steeps of snowdon or clamber among the cliffs of plenlimon i chatted with the peasant in the haute maurienne concerning the endemial swelling of the throat which is found in seven out of every ten persons here he told me what I had always heard, but do not yet believe, that it was produced by drinking the snow-water. Certain it is, these places are not wholesome to live in. Most of the inhabitants are troubled with weak and sore eyes. And I recollect Sir Richard Jebb telling me more than seven years ago that when he passed through Savoy, the various applications made to him either for the cure or prevention of blindness by numberless unfortunate wretches that crowded round him hastened his quitting a province where such horrible complaints prevailed. One has heard it related that the goiter or gozo of the throat is reckoned a beauty by those who possess it, but I spoke with many and all agreed to lament it as a misfortune that it does really proceed merely from living in a snowy country would be well confirmed by accounts of a similar sickness being endemial in canada but of an american goitre i have never yet heard and wales methinks is snowy enough and mountainous enough god knows yet was such an excrescence to be seen there the people would never have done with wondering and blessing themselves as for Mount Saint-Denis, I never felt myself more hungry or better enjoyed a good dinner than I did upon its top. 
but the trout in the lake there have been overpraised. Their pale colour allured me but little in the first place, nor is their flavour equal to that of trout found in running water. Going down the Italian side of the Alps is, after all, an astonishing journey, and affords the most magnificent scenery in nature, which, varying at every step, gives new impression to the mind each moment of one's passage, while the portion of terror excited either by real or fancied dangers on the way is just sufficient to mingle with the pleasure and make one feel the full effect of sublimity. To the chairmen who carry one, though nothing can be new, it is observable that the glories of these objects have never faded. I heard them speak to each other of their beauties and the change of light since they had passed by last time. While a fellow who spoke English as well as a native told us that, having lived in a gentleman's service twenty years between London and Dublin, he at length begged his discharge, choosing to retire and finish his days a peasant upon these mountains where he first opened his eyes upon scenes that made all other views of nature insipid to his taste. If impressions of beauty remain, however, those of danger die away by frequent repetition. The men who carried me seemed amazed that I should feel any emotions of fear. Qu'est-ce donc, madame? Quote, What's the matter, my lady? End note, was the coldly asked question to my repeated injunction of prenez garde. Note, take care. End note. Not very apparently unnecessary neither where the least slip must have been fatal both to them and me. The avenue to Turin, most magnificently planted and drawn in a wide straight line, shaded like the birdcage walk in St. James's Park for twelve miles in length, is a dull work, but very useful and convenient in so hot a country. It is being completed by the taste and at the sole expense of his Sardinian majesty, that he may enjoy a cool, shady drive from one of his palaces to the other. The town to which this long approach conveys one does not disgrace its entrance. It is built in the form of a star, with a large stone in the centre, on which you are desired to stand and see the streets all branch regularly from it, each street terminating with a beautiful view of the surrounding country like spots of ground seen in many of the old-fashioned parks in England, when the Etoile and Vista were the mode. I think there is still one subsisting even now, if I remember right, in Kensington Gardens. This charming town is the Salon of Italy, but it is a finely proportioned and well-ornamented salon, happily constructed to call in the fresh air at the end of every street through which a rapid stream is directed that ought to carry off all nuisances which here have no apology for want of any convenience purchasable by money and which must for that reason be the choice of inhabitants who would perhaps be too happy had they a natural taste for that neatness which might be here enjoyed in its purity the arches formed to defend passengers from rain and sun 
which here might have even serious effects from their violence, deserve much praise, while their architecture, uniting our ideas of comfort and beauty together, form a traveller's taste and teach him to admire that perfection of which a miniature may certainly be found at Turin, when once a police shall be established there to prevent such places being used for the very grossest purposes, and polluted with smells that poison all one's pleasure. Some letters from home directed me to inquire in this town for Dr. Charles Alioni, who kindly received and permitted me to examine the rarities of which he has a very capital collection. His fossil fish in slate, blue slate, are surprisingly well preserved. But there is in the world, it seems, a crystallised trout, not flat, nor the flesh eaten away, as I understand it, but round, and as it were, cased in crystal, like our aspics or fruit and jelly, the colour still so perfect that you may plainly perceive the spots upon it, he says. To my inquiries after this wonderful petrifaction, he replied that it might be bought for a thousand pounds, and added that if he were a rico inglese, note rich Englishman, end note, he would not hesitate for the price. Where may I see it, sir? said I. But to that question no entreaties could produce an answer, after he once found I had no mind to buy. That freshwater fish had been known to remain locked in the flinty bosom of Monte Uda in Carnia, the academical discourse of Cirilla di Cremona, pronounced there in the year 1749, might have informed us, and we are all familiar, I suppose, with the anchor named in the 15th book of Ovid's Metamorphoses. Strabo mentions pieces of a galley found 3,000 stadii from the sea, and Dr. Alioni tells me that Monte Bolca has been long acknowledged to contain the fossils now diligently digging out under the patronage of some learned naturalists at Verona. The trout, however, is of value much beyond these productions, certainly, as it is closed round as if in a transparent case, we find, hermetically sealed by the soft hand of nature, who spoiled none of her own ornaments in preserving them for the inspection of her favourite students. The amiable old professor from whom these particulars were obtained, and who endured my teasing him in bad Italian for intelligence he cared not to communicate, with infinite sweetness and patience, grew kinder to me as I became more troublesome to him, and showing me the book upon botany to which he had just then put the last line, turned his demise from me, and said as they filled with tears, You, madam, are the last visitor I shall ever more admit to talking upon earthly matters. My work is done. I finished it as you were entering. My business now is but to wait the will of God and die. Do you, who I hope will live long and happily, seek out your own salvation and pray for mine. Poor dear Dr. Alioni, my inquiries concerning this truly venerable mortal ended in being told that 
his relations and heirs teased him cruelly to sell his manuscripts insects etc and divide the money amongst them before he died an english scholar of the same abilities will be apt enough to despise such admonitions and dispose at his own liking and leisure of what his industry alone had gained his learning alone collected but there seems to be much more family fondness on the continent than on our island more attention to parents more care for uncles and nephews and sisters and aunts than in a commercial country like ours where for the most part each one makes his own way separate and having received little assistance at the beginning of life considers himself as little indebted at the close of it whoever takes a long journey however he may at his first commencement be tempted to accumulate schemes of convenience and combinations of travelling niceties will cast them off in the course of his travels as encumbrances and whoever sets out in life i believe with a crowd of relations round him will on the same principle feel disposed to drop one or two of them at every turn as they hang about and impede his progress and make his own game single-handed i speak of englishmen whose religion and government inspire rather a spirit of public benevolence than contract the social affections to a point and cooperate besides to prompt that genius for adventure and taste of general knowledge which a small chance to spring up in the inhabitants of a feudal state where each considers his family as himself and having derived all the comfort he has ever enjoyed from his relations resolves to return their favours of the end of a life which they make happy in proportion as it is so and this accounts for the equality required in continental marriages which are avowedly made here without regard to inclination as the keeping up of family the choice of a companion is considered as important while the lady bred up in the same notions complies with her first duties and considers the second as infinitely more dispensable the sure-footed and docile mule with which in england i was but little acquainted here claims no small attention from his superior size and beauty the disagreeable noise they make so frequently however hinders one from wishing to ride them it is not braying somehow but worse it is neighing out of tune i have put nothing down about eating since we arrived in italy where no wretched hut i have yet entered does not afford soup better than one often tastes in england even at magnificent tables game of all sorts woodcocks in particular Puperati, the so justly famed engraver produced upon his hospitable board one of the pleasant days we passed with him a couple so exceedingly large that i hesitated and looked again to see whether they were really woodcocks till the long bill convinced me one reads of luxurious emperors that made fine dishes of the little birds brains phenicopters tongues etc and of the actor who regaled his guests with nightingale pie with just detestation of such 
curiosity and expense but thrushes larks and blackbirds are so very frequent between turin and novi i think they might serve to feed all the fantastical appetites to which vitellius himself could give encouragement and example the italians retain their tastes for small birds in full force and consider beccafici ortolani etc as the most agreeable dainties it must be confessed that they dress them incomparably the sheep here are all lean and dirty looking few in number too but the better the soil the worse the mutton we know and here is no land to throw away where every inch turns to profit in the olive yards vines or something of much higher value than letting out to feed sheep population seems much as in france i think but the families are not in either nation disposed according to british notions of propriety all stuffed together into little towns and large houses on tasse as the french call it one upon another in such a strange way that were it not for the quantity of grapes on which the poor people live with other assessant food enjoined by the church and doubtless suggested by the climate i think putrid fevers must necessarily carry off crowds of them at once the headdress of the women in this drive through some of the northern states of italy varied at every post from the velvet cap commonly a crimson one worn by the girls in savoia to the piedmontese plait round the bodkin at turin and the odd kind of white wrapper used in the exterior provinces of the genoese dominions uniformity of almost any sort gives a certain pleasure to the eye and it seems an invariable rule in these countries that all the women of every district should dress just alike it is the best way of making the men's task easy and judging which is handsomest for taste so varies the human figure in france and england that it is impossible to have an idea how many pretty faces and agreeable forms would lose and how many gain admirers in those nations were a sudden edict to be published that all should dress exactly alike for a year meantime since we left a science no such delightful place by way of inn have we yet seen as here at novi my chief amusement at alessandria was to look out upon the huddled market-place as a great dramatic writer of our day has called it and who could help longing there for zoffany's pencil to paint the lively scene passing the po by moonlight near casale exhibited an entertainment of a very different nature not unmixed with ill-concealed fear indeed though the contrivance of crossing it is not worse managed than a ferry at kew or richmond used to be before our bridges were built bridges over the rapid po would however be truly ridiculous when swelled by the mountain snows it tears down all before it in its fury and inundates the country round genoa la superba stands proudly on the margin of a gulf crowded with ships 
and resounding with voices which never fail to animate a British hearer, the sailors shout, the mariners call, swelled by successful commerce or strengthened by newly acquired fame. The Dorian Palace is exceedingly fine. The Durazzo Palace, for aught I know, is finer. And marble here seems like what one reads of silver in King Solomon's time, which, says the scripture, was nothing counted of in the days of Solomon. Casa Brignoli, too, is splendid and commodious. The terraces and gardens on the housetops and the fresco paintings outside give one new ideas of human life and exhibits a degree of luxury unthought of in colder climates. But here we live on green peas and figs the first day of November, while orange and lemon trees flaunt over the walls, more common than pears in England. The Balby mansion, filled with pictures, detained us from the churches filled with more. I have heard some of the Italians confess that Genoa even pretends to vie with Rome herself in ecclesiastical splendour. In devotion, I should think she would be with difficulty outdone. The people drop down on their knees in the street and crowd to the church doors while the benediction is pronouncing with a zeal which one might hope would draw down stores of grace upon their heads. Yet I hear from inhabitants of other provinces that they have a bad character among their neighbours who love not the base Ligurian and accuse them of many immoralities. They tell one too of a disreputable saying here how there are at Genoa men without honesty, women without modesty, a sea with no fish and a wood with no birds. Birds, however, here certainly are by the million and we have eaten fish since we came every day, but I'm informed they are neither cheap nor plentiful, nor considered as excellent in their kinds. Here is macaroni enough, however. The people bring in such a vast dish of it at a time, it disgusts one. The streets of the town are much too narrow for beauty or convenience, impracticable to coaches and so beset with beggars that it is dreadful. A chair is therefore above all things necessary to be carried in even a dozen steps, if you are likely to feel shocked at having your knees suddenly clasped by a figure hardly human, who perhaps holding you forcibly for a minute conjures you loudly by the sacred wounds of our Lord Jesus Christ to have compassion upon his, showing you at the same time such undeniable and horrid proofs of the anguish he is suffering that one must be a monster to quit him unrelieved such pathetic misery such disgusting distress did i never see before as i have been witness to in this gaudy city and that not occasionally or by accident but all day long and in such numbers that humanity shrinks from the description Sure, charity is not the virtue that they pray for when begging a blessing at the church door. One should not, however, speak unkindly of a people whose affectionate regard for our country showed itself so clearly during the last war. 
a few days residence with the english consul here at his country seat gave me an opportunity of hearing many instances of the republic's generous attachment to great britain whose triumphs at gibraltar over the united forces of france and spain were honestly enjoyed by the friendly genoese who gave many proofs of their sincerity more solid than those clamorous ones of huzzaing our minister about wherever he went and crying viva il general elliot while many young gentlemen of high fashion offered themselves to go volunteers aboard our fleet and were with difficulty restrained the sea air except in particular places where the land lies in some direction that counteracts its influence is naturally inimical to timber though the green coasts of devonshire are finely fringed with wood and here at lomelino's villa in the genoese state i found two plane trees of a size and a serious dignity that recalled to my mind the solemn oak before our duke of dorset's seat at knoll and chestnuts which would not disgrace the forests of america a rural theatre cut in turf with a concealed orchestra and sod seats for the audience with a mossy stage not incommodious neither and an admirable contrivance for shifting the scenes and favouring the exits entrances etc of the performers gave me a perfect idea of that refined luxury which hot countries alone inspire while another elegantly constructed spot meant and often used for the entertainment of tenants and dependents who come to rejoice on the birth or wedding day of a kind landlord may one suppress one's sighs after a free country at least suspend them and fill one's heart with tenderness towards men who have skill to soften authority with indulgence and virtue to reward obedience with protection a family coming last night to visit at a house where i had the honour of being admitted as an intimate gave me another proof of my present state of remoteness from english manners the party consisted of an old nobleman who could trace his genealogy unblemished up to one of the old roman emperors but whose fortune is now in a hopeless state of decay his lady not inferior to himself in birth or haughtiness of air and carriage but much impaired by age ill health and pecuniary distresses these had however in no way lessened her ideas of her own dignity or the respect of her cavalier Cervente and her son who waited on her with an unremitted attention presenting her their little dirty tin snuff-boxes upon one knee by turns which ceremony the less surprised me as having seen her train made of dyed and watered lute-string borne gravely after her upstairs by a footman the express image of edgar in the storm scene of king lear who as the fool says wisely reserved a blanket else we had all been shamed our conversation was meagre but serious there was music and the door being left ajar as we call it i watched the wretched servant who stayed in the antechamber and found that he was listening in spite of sorrow and starving End of chapter one